0: Pandemic 2020. As social distancing orders are extended to protect the nation's health, legislators now look for a solution to stave off the effects of an economic downturn. Welcome to Insurance Uncovered. I'm Kathy Imus, and today as our special coverage of the global coronavirus pandemic continues, we're uncovering business interruption insurance, how NAMIC successfully kept legislation out of the latest economic stimulus package that would have resulted in negative consequences for the insurance industry. Plus, minute-by-minute compliance updates, how you can keep track of the rapidly changing regulations. And overcoming uncertainty with strength. Dr. Bob Hartwood gives an overview of the industry's financial position entering the COVID-19 pandemic. President Donald Trump signed into law phase three of the federal response to the COVID-19 pandemic an historic measure that provides more than $2.3 trillion in relief for workers, small businesses and industry sectors affected by the sudden economic halt. This comes as nearly 4,000 have now succumbed to the virus in the United States. And further grim projections have led the president to delay his plan to end federal social distancing guidance by Easter, now extending it to the end of April. After learning a member of Congress planned to introduce a bill mandating all business interruption policies cover claims related to pandemics and health emergencies during future pandemics, NAMIC launched a robust education campaign designed to prevent the bill from being introduced with that provision. Meanwhile, a well-funded band of celebrity chefs organized the Business Interruption Group, or BIG, to force insurers to pay for COVID-19 losses in the restaurant industry. This group presents a particularly daunting challenge from a political standpoint because it can use its celebrity status to gain attention and galvanize support for a cause that plays directly on the emotions of lawmakers and the general public across the country. NAMIC and others in the industry are working diligently to educate legislators and regulators about why BI insurance doesn't cover a pandemic and why a mandate is not a viable solution. This week, NAMIC and more than 30 retail partners and broad business groups signed a letter to the president and leaders of Congress urging that federal money be injected into the small business community immediately and in the future as necessary to save jobs and the nation's future economic health. NAMIC will be involved in discussions on Phase 4 legislative proposals, which could see some of the same attempts to force the industry to cover outbreaks going forward or the creation of a federal mechanism to address future pandemic risk. Given the global nature of the pandemic and the massive costs involved, groups such as the National Association of Insurance Commissioners and the National Conference of Insurance Legislators have joined with NAMIC and others in the insurance industry to push back against the notion that the insurance industry should be used as a mechanism to cover these kinds of events. During a webinar last week, South Carolina University Risk Management and Insurance Director Dr. Bob Hartwig provided an economic outlook of the property casualty insurance industry. He also addressed why legislators often misguidedly look to insurers for a solution. Insurers
1: have been receiving thousands and thousands of claims related to the COVID related to COVID-19 losses. Uh, in particular, uh, the calls involve business interruption. Uh, there'll be some workers' compensation, uh, some related to such things as event cancellation, and then a smaller sort of niche things such as travel. And in the future, we might expect to potentially see some activity in D&O and cyber. Uh, now, it is the case historically that crises tend to precipitate efforts to stretch contract language in an effort to find coverage where none exists, to find coverage where none was intended, and to find coverage where no premium was paid. Uh, We saw this uh, during and after Katrina. Uh, We've seen it after numerous events uh, in the past as well. Uh, And I expect to see it here. And quite frankly, politicians tend to pile on to these sort of activities because there's zero political risk for them uh, to do this. What you can see at $812 billion at, is this is a very strong number, uh, but this is a number, as all of you know, that is there uh, to cushion against uh, possible large events, such as the approximately $350 billion in insured cat losses we had in the most recent decade, including the first $100 billion ever back in 2017. Uh, and we, we can't forget that we are near uh, just about two months away from the beginning of hurricane season. And so uh, as attractive as these funds might appear to individuals who are unfamiliar with the industry, such as certain legislators around the country, for example, um, it is that those dollars are there in order to fund claims uh, where premium has been collected and, uh, and, and where liabilities are due.
0: You can listen to Dr. Hartwig's entire virtual event online at NAMIC.org, and be sure to listen to the next podcast on April 15th for his candid interview with Chuck Chamness. Well, NAMIC is tracking the rapidly changing COVID-19 PC regulatory compliance information for you, and on today's Insurance Unscripted, our Chuck Chamness is practicing social distancing himself, so he may sound a little different as he talks with Namek's AVP of Corporate Affairs and Associate General Counsel Jeff Baker. Jeff's in Idaho and Chuck's in upstate uh, Indiana here at his lake house, but here's their conversation about some of the most important compliance trends to be aware of during the pandemic.
2: Today on Insurance Unscripted, we're continuing our discussion of the global coronavirus pandemic. And in this unprecedented time, property casualty insurers are facing regulatory challenges daily, probably hourly. So to help us sort through all the compliance intricacies, we have Nameks, Assistant Vice President of Corporate Affairs and Associate General Counsel Jeff Baker leading us or joining us today. Jeff, you lead our compliance operation, and you have had a very, very busy part of the uh, association lately. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, I'd say uh, I'd say that's probably uh, maybe even an understatement. And I was going to say uh, you were saying uh, daily, hourly. I don't know if minutely is a uh, is a term, but we're seeing new things well, coming out uh, minute by minute.
2: Well, uh, we appreciate, and I know our members appreciate all that you and your team are doing. Let's start with uh, kind of a general question. What what are you seeing from regulators at this point? We're a couple weeks in. Obviously, it's a heavily regulated industry. Compliance matters. So are there trends or things you can point to uh, that you're seeing uh, in compliance today?
3: <clears throat> I'd say there are generally about 10 separate issues that we're tracking uh, throughout the state's. Uh, Non-cancellation bulletins, uh, some are mandatory, some are more flexible. Uh, delivery driver coverage is, a, is an emerging issue. Uh, allowing commercial insureds to self-audit, to adjust rates, uh, a lot of workers' compensation uh, information coming out. Uh, more and more regulators are announcing they're working remotely, if not all at this point. Um, data calls and information requests. Uh, it, it, the regulators are definitely issuing quite a few uh, consumer advisories regarding uh, business insurance issues but sometimes they touch on what they would like regulators to do or not do Uh, related compliance or relaxed compliance requirements Um, a lot of discussion about virtual claims adjustment and uh, seems like a lot of regulators are definitely uh, addressing producer issues whether it's uh, you're seeing uh, facilities that are closed third parties for fingerprinting uh, CE licensing, and so some uh, some of the regulators are starting to address how they can uh, help get uh, producers licensed and uh, renewed uh, appointments renewed so they can continue to service the business.
2: Wow, that is quite a list. Um, in terms of volume, uh, I saw our compliance, and we'll get to a little bit later the resources that we have available, but I did look at our compliance grid, and it is quite full of uh, many Regulatory notices that you all put up there, but what kind of trends are you seeing? You know, now, you know, at this point, and, and what do you see that you might expect here as we deal with this crisis for the coming weeks? I would
3: say uh, today, at least as of this weekend, some of the one of the trends I'm starting to see is regulators that had initially issued bulletins requesting or urging insurers to be flexible with uh, policyholders, whether it comes to premium payments or deferring premiums or working on payment plans. I'm seeing a definite shift now to some of those states saying, okay, we're not going to ask you to do it. We're going to tell you to do it. So moving from that flexibility perspective and asking to telling you, okay, you are not going to cancel for 60 days due to non-payment of premium or some period of the state's emergency order. That's one trend I've actually seen in the last day or two over the weekend and then in today. Uh, The other one that definitely seemed to uh, gain momentum the end of last week was the issue of coverage and or uh, not enforcing um, exclusions for commercial use of personal auto for delivery drivers. That that one sort of mm-hmm. started in Wisconsin and Colorado, and then it uh, kind of took off uh, in several other states. Um, they're they're more the other states are more urging. Wisconsin and Colorado are the only ones that are mandating, but you're seeing five, six, seven states now saying, okay we want you to do this uh we're going to accept filings please do it so it's a let's say it's a
2: strong ask I see so in terms of the neic last week we had an amic board meeting and had the neic CEO mike considine on and as we talked a little bit and i mean our board talked with mike about uh, things we would love to see from the neic they included giving some guidance to states Um, on some kind of broad um, regulatory changes, and um, the said, well, uh, it's awfully hard for us to act uh, as, you know, they're in a crisis working from remote offices, as all of us are, and that uh, their process really doesn't lend itself to um, doing that in this kind of um, situation. Is there anything you know, broadly around the regulatory world that you see from your uh, vantage point that you would recommend regulators to do more of or do less of? We do have many regulators who listen to insurance unscripted.
3: I think the, the, the key issue is consistency. Um, you know, Chuck, we're obviously 50 state regulators, and you have the territories, and you have the District of Columbia, and the problem, problem I think for, especially for the larger carriers and even the, the, you know, the regionals and, and super regionals is when you start getting conflicting and or inconsistent regulation from um, the different departments, it makes it difficult to institute procedures because, you know, if you have state A saying, well, we want you to do um, one, two, and three, and you have state B saying, well, we want you to do four, five, and six, you're gonna to having to reprogram your systems and or institute new policies also remotely um, to try to adjust for a state by state basis. I've actually had several conversations with one regulator in particular, um, who you know, I've expressed to them that this is a very important aspect of compliance and the easier they can make it on companies to comply then uh, the 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 quicker that companies can be in compliance and assist policyholders, um, I think that's that's probably the thing that I would I would say from my perspective uh, now at Namic and in my previous in-house uh, experience would be the more states that can do the same thing, the better.
2: How about data folks? I know they come after every uh, catastrophe. They're necessary on one level as policymakers. Uh, In many cases, governors are asking commissioners for information. But they're also a burden uh, that doesn't necessarily have to be as closely timed to the event as as it sometimes is. And it really does add a level of uh, complexity and workload to, you know, what our member companies are trying to accomplish uh, for their policyholders.
3: You know, the good thing is, Chuck, I'm not seeing as many data calls as I would have expected. Uh, there are a couple states, a couple of outliers that have issued data calls, but compared to, say, a tornado or a hurricane or uh, some other national disaster, um, you know, windstorm, flood, whatever, I'm not seeing as many data calls as I would expect to have seen which is obviously that's a good thing because trying to do together a data call in the midst of, of this situation um would be inordinately difficult. So I, I I think on that we're not I'm not seeing as much as we possibly could. And it seems like most regulators I feel like that would have issued one, you know, by this point probably have. So um, you know, keeping kind of keeping our fingers crossed and that that luckily has not really been an issue so far in most states.
2: Good. Sure. Sure. So, final question: You know, in terms of what our members can do to stay on top of the compliance issues, uh, resources that you're making available, uh, what what are your recommendations there?
3: Well, uh, we a lot of what we've been doing on our side lately is trying just trying to keep companies up to speed, and I'd say the The primary vehicle for that are our compliance alerts. Um, So subscribing to the alerts, you can do it state by state, Uh, you just go into your account and you select subscription and then you can uh, go down to where it says um, uh, compliance alerts is the second one down, show subscriptions, you can check off the boxes that you want, you'll get uh, updates from those states when they release uh, mandates essentially. Um, we also have uh, our, uh, we've created a new compliance survey. So our surveys, as uh, some people know, are essentially 50 state research uh, grids that address several topics. So we did create one for uh, this topic in particular. It's been something we've been spending a lot of time keeping up to date and adding new information to. Um, people can go in again. It's it's uh, it's an online resource. You can select the states that you want to see. Um You you have options to save filters on this. You can receive emails or you can keep it open on your desktop. You can hit refresh uh, throughout the day. We're trying to add things as soon as we see them um, from bulletins, directives, governors, orders. Um, We have separate subtopics within each state, um, whether it's data calls or compliance requirements, uh, cancellation, non-cancellation or non-renewal, business order, you know, is it an essential business? workers' compensation, rates and coverage. So separate, discrete subtopics that whether or not the regulator has addressed it and if they have what they're saying about it. So um, that's probably the the big one um, to keep up to date with everything. Uh, We have added uh, COVID-19 as a subtopic to our legislative and regulatory tracking system under several topics, Um, whether it's underwriting or auto insurance or market conduct. uh, You can find it there. Um, addressing this in the Compliance Weekly every week that comes out on Friday, that's also under Publications, um, and then obviously we have our, our general NAMIC COVID-19 Resource Center, and that, that does reference back to the survey and it has instructions on how to use, how to use the Compliance Survey System.
2: Uh, I'm sure that is uh, a lot of what, what our members will use and already have been using as we've been going through this crisis. Uh, Jeff, I know one of the things that I'm really gratified, uh, uh learn is the amount of value that our members place on the work you're doing and your team are doing and i know you've been working uh 24 7. so thanks for all that let me pass on my thanks from all the many NAMIC members i've heard from compliance people who really appreciate what you're doing to help them uh, do their jobs and uh, thanks for the time today i'm sure it will generate some more traffic to your information
3: absolutely thanks chuck and of course we are here for the members and I want any member to know that if they have questions, feel free to reach out to me directly.
0: With the safety and well-being of NAMIC members top of mind, all events scheduled from March through May are postponed, per the guidance from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention and the World Health Organization. While the goal is to meet later this year, NAMIC's events team is adapting and adjusting to the evolving coronavirus landscape. The Management Conference is currently the first event, and it's scheduled for this June. NAMIC's vice president of event operations, Krista Hassett, says parts of that agenda are being reconfigured to address the rapidly changing COVID-19 landscape. We do have an opportunity uh, to provide an update on the first day of the conference uh, between our economy power session, which is also very timely right now, as well as our our corporate culture sessions. So we think it's a a really good blend of getting the um, timely and informational updates that people need on things like the economy and what's happening with the virus, as well as um, thinking about how they can lead their team through this uh, really crucial period. And then we'll also be leaving in a roundtable discussion where members can get together and talk about um, how they have transitioned to a work-from-home atmosphere, what challenges they're experiencing, as well as what opportunities uh, present themselves. Remember, if you can't attend an event in person, keep in mind that NAMIC members can purchase an all-access pass to our online virtual events. At NAMIC.org, there are currently more than 85 webinars available for you to continue learning while you're working from home. And that's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be back on April 15th with more insurance news and interviews. And as always, if you have a topic or issue you'd like us to uncover, don't hesitate to let us know. You can always send us an email at uncovered at Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. I hope you have a great day and stay safe, everyone.